So we are in our series on spirit, and today we're talking about spirit sight, spirit and sight. So what do we mean by spirit and sight? When we're talking about sight is the is that thing that happens to us when we become uh, awake, both physically, but also spiritually. And when we have those moments of aha and getting it and understanding, um, and there's plenty of that uh, in um, our own personal stories and that also in the scriptures. Let me talk about uh, a way to get into this is by thinking about uh, a baby. When the baby first sees itself in the mirror, how many of you have had that uh, joyous experience of watching a child, either yours or someone else's, first see themselves in a mirror and its reaction, right? Um, it is absolutely fascinating. Prior to um, a certain age, prior to the age of 18 months, um, according to research, babies do not understand themselves as being um, in that mirror, the reflection of themselves in that mirror. What they see is um, another child. So, um, and there are five stages according to uh, a particular researcher um, who's done the most extensive work on, on this subject. But what uh, they talk about is that first baby, when the, the baby's born, understands almost immediately that it is distinct from the other objects in, the, in its surrounding. But it does not understand its relationship to those objects, meaning that if the object is far away, it does not know that it, you know, its body relationship to that object that's far away, which is why a, a baby won't reach for something necessarily. Um, but as it begins to develop that, it starts to reach out for those objects. And that's how it learns its spatial differentiation between itself and those objects around it. Same thing happens with uh, a parent or an adult, it starts to recognize those things. But still, it takes up to 18 months for them to finally recognize that that baby that's in the mirror is not another child, but themselves. And one of the tests they do is they put a sticker uh, on the baby and, and uh, on the baby's face, and then they have them look in the mirror. And if the baby goes like this and tries to remove it, they know self-awareness has, has gone to a higher stage. Prior to that, it's just like, you know, either nothing, <laughs> just unfazed by it, just looking at it and going, I, don't, I have no idea what that is. Um, uh, you know, or, but they, they won't go and actually try to remove it themselves. So this is, the, this is one of the distinct stages, uh, developmental stages in, in a child. Now we see this, we watch as this happens, um, but it will take up to four years before that child. Now get this, this is really fascinating. It'll take up to four years before that child not only knows that it is themselves in the mirror, but that that's how other people see them. Wow. They've tested this with aboriginals who uh, have never seen modern technology or a mirror, and they will show fully grown adults a mirror. And the reaction they say is the same as with uh, children. The reaction is uh, a little bit of embarrassment and shame. This is what I look like? Oh my goodness, right? So there's that first reaction of like, wow, um, other people see me this way, right? So it's, uh, it, it's an interesting thing that begins to happen at that stage. Now, if awakening or awareness, self-awareness happens this way for children, um, this is something that um, we could consider theoretically continues to happen to us as we grow. Um, psychologically and spiritually. As we continue to develop, we have greater levels of self-awareness. 
Um, and it's metaphorically spoken of as, as sight, the ability to see that we're at some point we're blind to something, right? Now we've all had this. You've had these, those moments where, oh my goodness, right? That aha moment. I can't believe that I didn't see it this way before. And now I see it. And when you see it, then at that point, there is no going backwards. Once you've seen, as they say, you cannot unsee. It's, it's, it's too late. You've crossed that threshold. And sometimes what you see is not all that great, right? It's that awareness of like, wow, all these people, man, they're all have problems. Everybody's got problems. I can't understand why everyone has so many problems. And then you would discover, wait, I'm the common denominator in all the problems that I'm having with everybody else. And then there's that moment of aha, seeing, and then you can't unsee. Oh, maybe, maybe I'm part of the problem, right? Okay, so self-awareness. Now, now this is interesting because we're going to look at a few passages in Scripture how, where the Spirit gives sight. Because this is one of the, the activities of Spirit is to open eyes, all right. So Jesus says in, um, according to John, John um, writes this in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Um, and, and this is remarkable because this is an, this is something that, you know, one would have thought in those days that you'll be guided into truth by something you already know and can kind of control. For example, you have this, this, the Hebrew scriptures, which is what they had. They didn't have the new Testament. They had the old Testament. Um, This is what will guide you into truth or the priests will guide you into truth or the prophets will guide you into truth. That's what would have been expected. But when they hear spirit will guide you into truth, that's an intangibility. There's not this sort of like, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, it's good that you're going away, Jesus, because he's going away. This is, this is where Jesus is saying, I, I have to go. I have to leave. Because up to, up to this point, for the disciples, the Hebrew scriptures, the prophets, the priests, but namely, Jesus was guiding them into truth. And Jesus says, I have to go away. Why? Do you have to go away? That's a problem. You're the guide to truth. In fact, you said you are the truth. Remember Jesus? You told us you're the truth. You're the way, the truth, the life earlier in John. Why now are you saying that you as the truth have to go away so that the spirit will guide you into all truth? So hold on to that. Put a pin in that. Um, We're going to go back to that. Second Corinthians four, the God of this age has what blinded, blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? So Paul, the um, presumed author of second Corinthians here is saying that most people are blinded by the God of this age, by the way, the God of this age is, could be anything. The God of this age can be things like yeah, ideologies that we hold on to, particular beliefs that we have about our own stories. I'm a victim. I've been victimized. It was my parents. They screwed me up. And now the reason why I'm the way I am is because of my parents. 
and we hold on to those things like, like they give us identity. They give us an excuse, right? The God of the stage is blinded, but the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that every one of you can be free. That's the good news. Every one of you can actually climb higher, can actually transform, can become something. Now, this is the good news of the gospel. But the God of this age is blind to the minds of unbelievers. Who are the unbelievers? Right? That's, up to, that's up to us to figure that out in terms of, am I one of those? Not, oh, you're the unbeliever. I got it. Okay. I'm the believer. You're the unbeliever. Got it. I feel good now. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord in ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now look at this. In Luke 24, 31, this is the road to Emmaus, the story where Jesus has been resurrected and the disciples are pretty downcast because um, they're confused. He was supposed to free us from Roman oppression and he didn't. He died under Roman oppression. Um, and Jesus is walking along with them and then um, shows up at their house where they're breaking bread and he breaks bread with them. And when he breaks bread, he disappears and their eyes are opened. Right? And they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Luke 24, 31. Okay. Oh, so, so what kind of game is this that Jesus and, and Jesus does this, right? For those of you who've read the gospels, you've read this before. Jesus does this sort of thing, disappearing and reappearing. And, and, and not only doing that, but not being very visible, not being clear as to this is, I'm Jesus. Because in chapter 20 of John, or chapter 20, 21, I think is 20, he is cooking fish over coal on the beach while the disciples are, are fishing. And uh, they call out to Jesus. Jesus calls out to them and they come out and Peter comes out first and and pretty soon they discover that it's Jesus. I mean, it comes pretty clear to them pretty quickly, right? But there's, there's these moments of where it, it's clear or it's somewhat clear in moments of where it is completely unclear who this person is. What kind of game is this? Because it seems like a game. Why, would not G, why wouldn't Jesus just say, hey, guys, um, I'm traveling with you on this road. Uh, I just want to make sure you understand. It's me, Jesus, the guy who was resurrected. See, right here, my hands. Right. Now, they would have been, okay, great. What do you have to say to us? Okay, we want to I want to tell you. Everything's going to be fine. I've been resurrected. Um, here's the good news. But he doesn't. And here's why I think it, that's the case. Because I think it's consistent with all awarenesses and awakenings that we ever have. They don't happen in the ways that we ordinarily would expect them to happen. And Jesus is going to indicate to them that my spirit who will guide you into all truth is less visible than I am. It's less of a physical entity. You're not going to be guided always by things that have guided you in the past. For example, you had the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Those things were things that were codified. You could, you could follow those things. They were in print. Yeah. You know, you, you, could, you could follow a priest because a priest is a physical, you know, Moses, you could follow Moses, but then Moses disappears too, right? And that's a problem for Israel when Moses disappears. They can't even find his body. And, 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 and Joshua takes over and that's good. Whew, what a relief. But then suddenly after Joshua, there's this group of judges, 
And the judges are these unofficial rulers, and it's really frustrating to Israel. And Israel finally says, give us a king. We want a king. Please give us a king like every other nation has who will rule and guide. And G, or God's answer to, through the prophet Samuel says that the king is going to oppress you. The king is going to enslave your children or make your children into soldiers and, and your sons into soldiers and, and demand taxes from you and all this other stuff. And they say, we don't care. We want a king. And finally, God gives them a king. And those things actually do take place. Why? What's happening here is that there's this desire for something physical to guide us from the external. We don't like to be guided by the spirit. Because the spirit is not tangible, it's not visible, and it isn't in our control. There's no dimension of control we have over spirit. The only thing we can do is to tune into it. And where spirit is, is just going to be like Jesus when he is resurrected, showing up randomly in ways you do not recognize. That is is the way the New Testament would be formed, would be guided by a spirit who is intangible and showing up in strange ways and confusing things. But you have to stay on your toes and in tune and be willing to yield yourself to it in order to understand what's going on. And that's the way it would work. (coughs) Now that's so hard, isn't it, right? It's so hard because I'm up here and in some sense, I'm a guide, right? So you can look to me and go, well, the pastor says this, right? But guess what I always do to you? And you know this, I turn it back on you. What is spirit saying to you? What is Jesus saying to you? What do you think is your next step? Why? Because you have to tune in and exercise that ability to discern internally from within you what spirit plus on the outside of you, it's both and, what spirit is saying to you for you to do next. And this is what we want to raise up is a kind of people that can discern what spirit is saying at all times and not get it right because we're going to get it wrong, but to be able to discern nonetheless. Does that make sense? Discerning spirit. That's what we're about. Okay, so this is Luke 24. Their eyes are open. So Jesus is not playing a game. Jesus is actually teaching them to begin to discern how spirit will show up in random different ways. Now, let's look at chapter six of of Luke. I can't go into the whole chapter because it's rather lengthy, but here's a fascinating thing about it. And it's only, it was only today, this morning, that I realized that if you see chapter six through the grid of spirit awakening, higher level of awakening in consciousness, if you see it that way, that's, it starts to make sense of the whole entire chapter. Because for those of you who are familiar with this, the chapter begins with um, Jesus breaking Sabbath law by collecting grain, (coughs) harvesting grain. (coughs) Some of you familiar with that story? The disciples are out there with Jesus and they're harvesting grain on the Sabbath, deliberately breaking a Sabbath law. Right now, Luke goes, okay, let me tell you that story and let me pair it up with the next very next story immediately in that same passage. So if you're in Luke, if you've got Luke opened, it's in Luke chapter six, you're going to see this fascinating right away. He pairs up the next story with Jesus breaking the Sabbath law again, but this time in the temple where there's a man with a shriveled hand and Jesus wants to heal the man with the shriveled hand. But the problem is that that's a deliberate act according to Every religious leader in that day, this would have been wrong to do it on the Sabbath. Do it, do it on, hey, look it, do it on Sunday. Do it on Monday, do it on Tuesday, 
not on Saturday. We're not saying don't heal the man. We're saying don't do it on Saturday. Because that's what the law says. And we're trying to obey the Old Testament law. Well, Luke pairs these two stories up and Jesus says this in response to that criticism. Jesus says to them, is it lawful? Right? He uses their, their way of thinking, law, right, wrong, black, white. Is it lawful to, to heal a life or destroy a life on the Sabbath? Just, just asking a question. Take your time. <laughs> And boy, does that set them off. Because what do you do with that? That's a different, completely different way of seeing. Is it not? If you're thinking in terms of the Sabbath law says don't do this, and we're really trying to follow it, so we're going to say don't do any work at all, ever, on Saturday. Let's really be religious and serious about it. Let's take it seriously, let's take it literally, and let's obey it. If you're taking it that way, then when Jesus says, is it lawful to heal or destroy on the Sabbath? What has he done? He has forced the seeing to a new level. I never thought to see it that way. I only thought of it. You you just obey the law. All right. So you have the Sabbath, right? Now, next thing is he says, the next, immediately, the next passage, right underneath that, he says, people will misunderstand you as you begin to follow me. So when you begin to move into spirit, following spirit, guess what always happens to you? You get misunderstood. Hey, how many of you, you remember when you began your spiritual journey and people around you began to wonder what you were up to? What are you doing? Or you're taking a new step of faith in a new direction of life and people lose their mind. Like, what do you do when that's crazy? You've got responsibilities. You've got all that. Well, I'm taking care of my responsibility, but this is something that I also feel called to. People just don't know what to do with it. So Jesus is saying, look, or Luke is saying, look what happens. Jesus performs these two miracles, does something that is way outside the awareness level of where people are, that it messes with them. And he says, you two are going to do the same thing and you're going to be misunderstood. But hang in there. Don't lose hope. And then he says this, continue to love your enemies. Something that they didn't really think of doing. Because according to Hebrew scriptures, that wasn't really a prominent message in the, in the Old Testament, was to love your neighbors. That's a fairly rel- relatively new kind of thinking that's taken place. There's even Psalm 11, 5, where it says God hates the wicked. There's plenty of other Psalms that say that, that God, destro- God is against the unrighteous and God takes action to destroy them and so on. And there's a lot of this type of language in there, although there are hints also in the Hebrew scriptures that go against that. But for the most part, this is understanding that you've got enemies and the enemies are also God's enemies. And God will sometimes call you to go and destroy them. You know, if you're the nation, if you're the people of God, but Jesus is here, love your enemies. There's a higher level now of understanding as people are developing as society is growing in their understanding. So love your enemies. And then he says this, 
don't judge. And then immediately after that, he says, do judge. Okay, so first of all, he says, don't judge. Okay? He says, um, look, at, uh, let, me, let me just say, put it this way to you, that uh, you can't have the blind leading the blind, or you both are going to end up in a ditch. You have to have awareness and understanding and sight that's given by spirit in order to do that. And so then he says, <clears throat> if your brother has a speck in his eye, remove the beam from yours before you go and remove the speck from theirs. Right? Don't judge. What is he saying here? This is interesting. If you're following the train of thought here, he is saying you do not have the level of awareness and understanding yet to be able to do that. When you do, you'll be able to help your brother, but you don't right now. In fact, your level of awareness is it, or insight. Why is he talking about eye? You have a speck in, your, in a beam. In a, why? Because it's about sight. It's about ability to see. If you have a beam, you cannot see. If you have a speck, you can, but you have a problem seeing. But if you have a beam, first remove that. You can't possibly remove the speck. You need to grow yourself. And there are many people who are, I love the people who, who, who are like, look, don't do what I do because I, I screwed up in life. So don't do what I, let me, let me teach you. Let me teach you how not to do bad things. I love that. Not really, but it, it drives me nuts. Like you, you're telling us what not to, but, but see, life is about what to do. And, and if you haven't yourself developed and grown you have no capacity and no responsibility really to be teaching someone else unless you yourself have gone there first. Now, this is going to be hard, but this is truth. Shepherds were supposed to lead their sheep, not by driving their sheep. And this is a metaphor that's often used in scriptures too. Do not drive the sheep. You're to go there first, meaning you put your own life at risk. Because there were wolves, there were snakes, there, there were predators out there. But if you're a good shepherd, you're going to go there first and it's going to sometimes hurt you, but you're going to get there and you're going to change yourself. And so that then you can bring the sheep with you with great compassion as you guide them from a place of deep humility, because you have gone through it yourself. That's how you know the characteristics. That's how you know if someone's leading or driving, if they're leading, it comes from a place of humility, of gentleness, but also of authority and of this has to go. We have to go here. This is important. It's for your good. Okay? So Jesus says, look it, you can't, you can't pull a beam out of that person's eye or a speck out of that person's eye until you get rid of your own beam. But then he says this, do judge, right? Because the next, the next thing he says is, look at a tree and judge a tree by its fruit. That's how you know. See, see the thing is with this whole new way of, of moving forward and thinking and awareness and being led by something that is not tangible spirit is that you have to have some way of being able to measure what is happening here. You know, if you, if you're saying, Joel, I mean, you're saying, talk about spirit being guided by spirit. You might be overstating this because my goodness, you're, you know, you guided by spirit. Anybody can say I'm, I'm led by the spirit to go, you know, to go, uh, shoot somebody <laughs> that's driving me nuts. I've been led by the spirit to go knock them off. Now you can't, 
you, 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 you can't just do that, right? Like that, that would be, that wouldn't be, that you could say that's spirit led, right? But that's, this is the fear that many leaders have is like, well, if you're just sort of saying be led by the spirit, people can be led individually into anything they want. Are you, uh, you, you hearing me, right? I mean, this is, and I've seen it happen, haven't you? Like people are like, well, I just, God told me. I just, I, I just feel so wonderful with this. Yeah, but you're married. Yeah, but I feel so wonderful being with this other person. And they give me life. And they, yeah, but you have kids. You have me are married. And like this is, has constantly, yeah, but is it, you, know, you can't argue with that. But they're convinced. And the Spirit's guiding me. I have one client who <laughs> yesterday was really funny. He's like, you know, I just, he, in, in love with this other person, not married, but, you know, but in love with this, but, but this person's clearly not in love with, with him. And, and he's having a hard time with it, right? So we're going back and forth in this conversation. And he's like, but, but I felt like God said to me, um, don't lose hope. <laughs> and then he's like, maybe it's me rationalizing it. <laughs> it's like, maybe, you know, <laughs> it's just, that might be because she is not interested in you. And she's made that clear. Like it's, you know, and it's so funny how there's like this, you know, ability to really manufacture spirit leading me, you know, sort of thing. Uh, so there's got to be a way to, 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 to uh, weigh and test that. And there is, there is, there's plenty of ways. But one of the big ones is this fruit. This is how you can tell what's happening, Right. Is what you're doing producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? These are the nine fruits of the spirit. Is it producing that in your life? And is it producing that through you into the lives of other people? And if you, if you, if you start to see that it's not doing that, and you've given it time. You can't judge it immediately, but you've given it time. And you see that my particular way of moving forward or growth or new awareness or whatever else is happening is not producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And something is off. I need to reevaluate it. I need to pay attention to that. We have all kinds of ways to justify our behaviors and it happens in sort of large group ways and in individual ways. We have leaders that will talk about a particular thing like, you know, we should be against this and we should be for this and, and we should be doing that and the other. And all these things that are being preached about and have been preached about for some time, when you start to evaluate the fruit of it, if the fruit of it is showing that there's something wrong with that, we need to reevaluate it. I've done this with certain theologies. I've asked people, people have said to me, well, I believe this, Joel. It sees, I, I see it right here in the, the Bible. It, is, it says this and that, and, and, and I believe this, and I believe that. And then I'll ask, how, how is that working out for you? Is that producing fruit in your life? And it's the funniest expression I get is this sort of like, never thought to think about that. Right? And then they evaluate and they're like, no, it's actually creating fear and all kinds of discomfort in me. And uh, so why are you fighting it then? Right? You're fighting something. Why are you fighting it? If what you believe is producing all this darkness in you and has been consistently, it's not like it's consistent, then maybe you ought to think differently. And one of the things that's been really powerful is to watch how in my own life, do I find myself, am I finding myself being more loving towards my family 
And does it, does it get down to the nitty gritty in that way? When I come home at night, I had someone, I had someone um, that isn't here in, in our church, but someone come to me and say, hey, I'd like to give you a, a prophetic word from God. And it was like, and this is going to be a warning. And I was like, oh boy. And I felt also sort of anxiety about it. And in that moment, I thought, you know what? And I really tuned in. I said, God, if, if this is from you, I want to receive it. But I'm feeling loads of anxiety and I have to go home. And I know that if I go home with this message, because I kind of knew what it was going to be, the person that kind of hinted about what it was going to be about, I said, it's going to produce anxiety. And when I go home, I'm not going to be present in my mind to my family. And to me, I think that's where it starts. It's got to start at home in your own personal garden, your life, your soul, and your family's. If you're single, it's got to be here, man. You've got to take care of your soul. You're not doing that. It's not good. This is what I shared with my client yesterday. I said, but your own soul is sick over this and you keep chasing something that's making you sick. Right? Your heart is sick. It's time to let go. It's time to take care of this. This is important. It's got to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. All these things have to be produced in your life. So that's a good metrics. I think we just need to think about this. It's like if I'm being spirit led and guided, it's got to line up with that more and more, right? All right. Last thing I want to say about this is back to what we had started the series out with is this whole, whole idea of new wineskins, old wineskins. Okay. So in Mark um, chapter two, uh, verse 21, uh, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst and the skins um, and both the, uh, both the wine and the wineskins uh, will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Okay. So what's Mark doing here? Mark is saying, there's going to be times, and this is the kind of the thinking here in Mark, and it is as well in Matthew. There's this idea, something new is happening. And with something new is happening in your life, like you have had a new desire awaken within you that you'd fallen asleep to many years ago. You've started to awaken to hope. You've had moments in our gatherings here where you have felt the spirit of God and you have been touched and you have been renewed with hope. But then you go back and on Monday morning, you're back to your life and your life does not feel that same way. Have you ever had those moments? where you feel like I've got two lives. One is church and it feels great. And then I go home and then there's this life and there are two different worlds altogether. Or I go to work and it's a completely different world than um, my, my family and my church life. It's just two different worlds, two different sort of containers in a sense. And, and this, is, this is what happens oftentimes with us when we're having spiritual renewal or we're having something happening within us where we're starting to wake up to something new and something different and we're starting to renew our hope and that's happening and we're having even insights and ahas and we are also in this other world as well. It happens within church where you're having these awakening and these awarenesses, and they don't match up with what you've always thought and believed and with what other people have thought and believed, 
Yeah? And that happens within the church all the time. And oftentimes we don't know what to do with that. What do I do with this? And then it happens within your own self that you have new thoughts, new ideas, new hopes that are rising within you. And yet you've got this other part of you that doesn't feel that. We're kind of all have multiple personalities within us. We just do. There's versions of us. There's versions of us, a lot of versions of us. Yes, that is what's wrong with us. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of versions of us. And so what do we do when we're having these things happen? Well, oftentimes what we end up doing is sort of like dismissing what we can't categorize yet. We've had this awakening and we don't know what to do with it. And so we try to force it into a pre into current categories or just dismiss it, get rid of it, ignore it, forget about it. And instead, I think what we have to do is we have to do what Mark is suggesting. There are times where you just have to create new containers for new experiences. So my suggestion to you is if you've had awakenings and in our time together while we're singing and we're going to do the same thing of gathering up around here and we'll do some, spend some time um, with just being present to the spirit of God is you're going to have, you might have spiritual experiences and they might not fit with anything else that's going on. They might make you feel amazing. And then tomorrow you'll wake up and it'll be gone or it'll last maybe a few days and then it'll be gone and you won't know what to do with it. And you may want to just simply say, well, that was some crazy experience, but it doesn't match up with reality. And that's one of our favorite words. Oftentimes it doesn't match up with reality. This is reality. This is not whatever your experience. This is sort of like woohoo. It feels great, but it's not reality. And so we can dismiss the new wine simply because the old wine is what we're familiar with. Does that make sense? And so we may have to just simply say, I'm going to create a new wineskin for what's going on. It's a new way of thinking about this, but I think it could help. So maybe create a new wineskin around what's happening. And so what do you do? Well, you think about it. You spend time thinking about it. You spend time thinking about the experience and holding on to it and being okay with it and just saying, here it is. Here's the experience. I don't know what to do with it, but I'm going to let it sit next to the old wine in its old wine skins. And I'm not going to cause one to knock off one in order to have the other. I'm not going to run to the new wine skin and dismiss the old wine skin as completely useless and a new an old way of thinking because we want to be a progressive people and we want to be cool and hip and we want to run ahead and be... The, the latest and greatest. And we can do that. And churches do this all the time. It's sort of like kick the old wineskins aside. Let's grab a hold of new. But Mark is saying, you, you guys aren't smart enough to do that. You don't know yet what is coming around the corner. None of us do. We have to be guided by spirit. And spirit, darn it, will only give us one step at a time. I wish the spirit would give us a whole lot of steps to know what's coming around the corner. But it's only a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's only one step. As you keep taking that step, the light is faithful to shine the light on the next step. But that's about it. And so we have to be able to hold on. Here's the old wineskins. Here's the new ones. Old wine, new wine. I'm going to let them stay together for a while. And I'm going to just yield to that process, the discomfort of that process. And as it creates this discomfort in me, just like with... Uh, what's it, what's an, an oyster or whatever that produces a pearl when there's a little bit of grain of, of sand or something in it, is it, it, it produces something magical, something utterly beautiful that you could never have done on your own. 
it's a natural process of transformation and it will yield the next step and that will become clear to us. So for now, why don't you take your experiences and just say, here's a, here's a new wineskin. I'm going to create for it. I, I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to try thinking about how to do new wineskin for this new wine. And I'm going to just let it sit here and I'm going to pay attention to it. And I'm going to drink from it every once in a while because it tastes good. And then the old wine, I'm going to leave it there because sometimes I'm going to need that as well. And we let them sit and we sit with the experiences. So I'm going to invite us to yield to experience this morning to just sort of open ourselves up. Yes, yes, yes to whatever God wants to do.